Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Well, today we're actually talking about the renaissance. That's right. What happened right before the renaissance? The dark ages. And that's what we're going through right now. So today we're going to talk about preparing for the upcoming challenges. And all I want to say is challenges, not disasters or anything else. Now, unless you're blind and completely ignorant, uh, you're unaware of the problems in the rest of the world. Okay, so we're talking Middle East. Um, The royal families are being arrested. Uh, Yemen, um, we're talking uh, massive, massive disasters. Millions of people are are being damaged. Syria, the Middle East, Africa. Heck, we were um, at a a restaurant, and this guy came from uh, Italy at an Italian restaurant. And we said, well, what are you doing over here? And he said there were no jobs in Italy. Venezuela, they, a few months back, after the economy, they were eating the animals out of the zoo. Uh, Greece, you know, forget about it. I mean, deeply in debt. So understand that the entire world is going through changes, and it will be affecting us. We just, uh, chance favors the prepared. So whether it's an economic collapse or more government control, uh, you know, poles shifting, oceans dying, global warming, there's a lot of things. And it could be natural, um, you know, environmental, man-made. And just know that there is going to be something that's going to happen that's going to interrupt um, refrigeration, lights. Uh, imagine, imagine this. If you woke up tomorrow... All the lights were off, no cell phone, uh, and you had just one tank of gas, the water was shut off, and you only had the food in your house. What would you do? How could, could you get your car out of the garage? So this is going to be the first in a series of talks on to get you prepared so that you can wake up with no electricity or problems and survive and thrive. And we're going to walk through first aid. We're going to walk through shelters, types of food, um, power generators, whether they're solar, gas, or diesel. Um, I mean, all the basics. Uh, But realize that all societies have predictable cycles. And and you can go back into Greek, Roman, Egyptian, uh, Mongolian, Ottoman Empire, okay, thousands of years in China. Uh, societies have gone through certain cycles. And I'm going to describe those cycles because if you understand that the cycle repeats, we know that it's not the end of the world, it's a changing of the world. And that's the key. Uh, now, the, the, if you look at all the different sociologists out there, some have a four cycle, some have a nine cycle, but they're basically uh, kind of organizing the pathway that everybody has. So imagine this, and you could say hunter-gatherer, you could say the, Greek, the small Greek villages, you could say um, you know any type of empire that was ever formed. Uh, you know, the refugees from Troy formed, formed Rome. At, think of this, small, independent, self-sufficient communities. Uh, you could even call them monasteries. Now, they're banded together, so this is how everybody starts in the small, independent communities. Now, these are self-sufficient. They're living in harmony with the environment. 
However, if they join forces, there's more security, and they will have uh, less work and more stuff. So it's, it's like blending together means that they're more protected during droughts or famines, and they can provide security for one another. So either a, a person or a group of people get together to form cohesive groups, and you can call these communities or countries. And then when that country gets together, there's an age of conquest where they look at what they have and what they need. So they go out and get the raw materials. Uh, infrastructure is built. Industry is expanded. The military is expanded because now with the spendable income that these small communities got together, they have more money to give more security and more um, raw materials. Then you have the golden age. The golden age is, is art, um, building infrastructure, populations increased, women are valued. Uh, however, uh, now you have this infinite expansion. So politicians literally start to promise more because they're just coming off of an area where they had some conquest and industry was expanded. So now they're elected to make the society even greater. So now you have a problem of infinite expansion in a finite world. And this is when the systems experience stress. So now you have to pay your military. You have to pay for the work products. So currency is devalued. Uh, there's a decline in the living standards of the common population. Uh, famines possible. Personal rights are limited. And the quality of living declines. So think back in the 50s when it was common to have a two-parent household, one parent worked, the other person stayed home. And then the person that worked, worked for 20, 25 years, and then retired on a pension. So that you're not going to hear that a lot today because of the currency being devalued. Okay, so so we're seeing a change in that. And here's one of the challenges. In the cycle of societies, they're, they're an infinite expansion in a finite world. So eventually, reserves are exhausted, and the entire system experiences a collapse. We're talking famic, epidemics, and other disasters, martial law, and this is when the governments realize that the population isn't healthy or happy, and they start to take control. And then that's the chaos phase. It's when the government completely loses control because they've tried to control too much. Uh, their systems are completely dysfunctional. Uh, healthcare systems break down. Infrastructures break down. Food supplies break down. Uh, power companies break down. I mean, virtually everything goes to chaos. And in giant communities, and I'm talking, imagine if L.A., Los Angeles, 14 million people ran out of water for four days. Just the water was cut off. They only have about three days' worth of food inside of the um, supermarkets. So if you have a massive earthquake that wipes out the bridges going into L.A. or breaks the water infrastructure, so you're talking sewage systems backing up, it's very hard to get 14 million people water, enough to drink, let alone to wash or be sanitary. So then diseases are going to rise and there's going to be riots and everything else. So think of that. And then the 
police or government is going to take over with martial law. So when there's chaos, that's when uh, the government comes in to take over. This is the chaos phase. And this is when society breaks up and goes into small groups and they live in harmony with the environment and they become self-sufficient. So now you can see the cycle starting. So break it down. Small independent communities are brought together um, for security and productivity, golden age, art expansion, everything. And then eventually an exhausting the resources, a corrupting of the politics of the government. You know, power corrupts, ultimate power cor corrects ultimately, <laughs> or absolute power corrects, absolute, corrupts absolutely. Then you have the exhausting of resources, bankrupt, force control, chaos, until the small communities break off. So this cycle has been repeating for thousands of years, thousands of years. This isn't new. So let's look at the signs of what state we're in in our society. Well, non-communicable disease, according to the World Health Organization, will bankrupt the world by 2030. So this means um, cardiovascular disease, cancer, um, COPD, mental disorders, high blood pressure, Parkinson's, dementia, all of these things. So these diseases that are man-made, they're non-communicable, you have to earn them, okay, because you earn them because of toxic food, lack of activity, toxic medical care, and toxic lifestyles. Then we have a world of chaos where we're living in disharmony. Can you imagine uh, E. coli, which is a common bacteria in the intestinal tract, now on lettuce? How did this happen? How do we see E. coli in spinach or E. coli in romaine lettuce? Well, because we have a massive problem with concentrated animal feeding operations. They're called CAFOs and a tremendous amount of waste. Now, um, most of the agriculture in this country is grown to feed these giant animal feeding operations, except those animals produced a tremendous amount of waste. And so then you got raw sewage sprayed on fields because there's not enough time to let it ferment and, and go through the process of converting it into a safe product. So this is horrible. Now, what other signs do we have? Because remember, in the chaos phase, the governments take over more power and you lose more rights, and we see problems with health and infrastructure. Well, Argentina just created a mandatory vaccination law to get your passport, your identification, driver's licenses, schools, everything. Now, I told you that's going to happen in America in 2020. Okay, why? Because that was Healthy People 2020. And a lot of people were saying, no, that's impossible. They'll never force medical procedures on our population. Right, that was in the 80s. Then they passed the non-liability law, so the pharmaceutical industry is now living big. They have a liability-free product that's forced on the public. So this is something that, uh, and again, these are just clues to a world in chaos. Now, it's interesting, there's still small communities out there that respect the person. Now, this was published in August of 2017, so a little bit over a year ago. Forced vaccination judged unconstitutional in Colombia. Now, they went in, listen to this, 
The state cannot make decisions regarding the bodily integrity of its citizens, because to do so would violate human dignity. Man, I, I, I just imagine a government holding humans' dignity and their personal rights above profit. It, it just seems incredible. Now, you may say, okay, the rest of the world is in chaos, but America is strong and there. Well, kind of, except 25% of America's children are living in a state of poverty. Now, this is the highest among all developed nations. In fact, out of 35 countries, the U.S. ranked 34th uh, in the number of children living in poverty. Uh, when we look at the percentage of our population living below the poverty line, the U.S. ranks 35th out of 157 countries. The, the challenges we're seeing that we're getting less and less um, uh, financially viable. Our power is waning. See, in the U.S., okay, in 1964, the official poverty rate was uh, about 19%. Uh, now, we're looking at 41%. Okay, so we're looking at a massive rise in poverty. Now, the U.S. government is printing money. Now, this has been going on uh, since time immemorial. When the Greeks were having trouble making ends meet, they started to mix copper in with their silver, and they had a stamp on it. So even though the coins weren't pure silver, they had the stamp of the government, and people were supposed to honor that coin instead of the real heavy-weighted silver because it was backed by the government. Well, if you're holding uh, notes receivable or dollars in your pocket, realize that that's just a piece of paper. It could be completely devalued overnight. Uh, this is why, if you remember back when Russia um, uh, was, or the Union of the Soviet Republic what, had those challenges back in Gorbachev and was dissolved, people were bringing wheelbarrows of money to supermarkets for shopping. So the pieces of paper are backed by a government. They're not real currency. Now, the U.S. government owes $21 trillion. That's a national debt. Now, you might think, who owns that debt? Well, a number of countries around the world, since America has been, you know, like an economic powerhouse most of last century, um, a number of different countries have purchased treasury bonds. Uh, now, the U.S. debt... Uh, is owned by the Social Security Administration, Federal Reserve Bank, um, mutual funds and banks. In fact, foreign countries hold about a third of the debt. So they're holding around $7 trillion. Uh, like China, Japan own a little bit more than a trillion dollars each. But we're talking a lot of countries have treasury bonds. Uh, now, this is a challenge because if the U.S. goes down, all of these countries are doing the majority of their transactions in dollars. Now, Moscow, this past spring, unloaded $87 billion worth of treasury bonds. Japan got rid of $18.4 billion. So um, Turkey unloaded 42% of its holdings. So we're looking at the people that own um, 
these treasury bonds that are uh, purposely buoying up this dollar because most of the world transactions, the international transactions, have been conducted in the dollars. And in fact, in the 70s, when Nixon got us off of the gold standard, he um, tied the dollar in with petroleum. So all petroleum was traded was in petrodollars. Well, the post-World War II era international transactions um, used to be conducted in dollars. And I say used to be because right now, the U.S. dollar is only 39% of all transactions. The euro is at 35% of transactions. But then you've got the pound, the yen, the won, all of these. Now, Martin Feldstein, former chairman of the White House Council and Economic Advisors, anticipates a $10 trillion drop in U.S. household assets. That means that we owe a lot Okay, $21 trillion. We owe that to the people that are printing the money. That's the Federal Reserve, which is not federal. That's a group of private banks. Now, when the economy changes, $10 trillion in assets are going to disappear. Disappear. How does that work? Well, think of this. What if you have a home that's worth, say, $200,000 uh, five years ago? Now, the home and the area have increased, and now it's worth half a million dollars, which is very common in real estate markets where the property values increase. However, that property value increasing to half a million dollars, if the dollar is devalued, that house is also devalued. And this has happened multiple times. In fact, there's cycles of property devaluation where people get behind on their property. And this is what's going to happen. So when the next recession comes, it's going to be deeper and longer than in the past. Now, this is not going to be an ordinary downturn. This is going to be a completely different way. Now, the way as one economist, Walden Bello, says, the financial operators, such as the Federal Reserve, which isn't really federal and it's not a reserve. This is a group of banks that print money and sell that money to the government. I mean, brilliant, brilliant operation. Uh, but they're releasing a lot of cheap money that's resulted in issues of trillions of dollars of debt. See, when they're giving money out, they're loaning it out, and they're just loaning out printed pieces of paper. Now, the global debt is $325 trillion dollars. That's three times the size of the global domestic product. That's right. The entire world owes three times what they produce in a year. So this is completely not sustainable. And this, this economist goes on to say, debt buildup cannot go on indefinitely without inviting catastrophe. Well, I, th I think we're kind of seeing that like right now because what we got, we got an irrational exuberance of stocks and stocks is just gambling. Uh, you got uh, set household and corporate debt skyrocketing, a government burden with debt. And when the U.S. goes down, uh, everything else goes down. But this is going to be a lot deeper. So 
you cannot trust the government. You can't trust anyone, but you can trust yourself. And we can look at um, Syria. We can look at Bosnia. We can look at Venezuela. We can look at Argentina. We can look at um, all the areas that have had revolution in the past. Um, who's surviving there and who's not? Well, the people that are not prepared are not doing well. What the whole purpose of this conversation today is to get you aware that there's a problem and also prepared to thrive. Because remember, this is a cycle. Right now, we're in the chaos phase. Whatever delusional aspect your friends or, or family want to tell you, this is the chaos phase. Uh, we're looking at uh, massive changes in just the next year or two. So this is what you got to do. You have to get um, a food supply. Now, Patriot Food Supply is pretty good. Uh, look for something that lasts long that's dehydrated. There's a really cool kit for sprouts that I like a lot. I mean, figure 149 bucks. It's in a five-gallon bucket. It weighs around 20 pounds, and you can get 150 pounds worth of food out of it. But just for a family of two, a three-month food supply costs around $800. So, and now I have no financial <laughs> link with any of these groups. So look around your area. Look for organic. Look for shelf life, for storage, that it doesn't need to be stored in, in cold, that it could be stored in sunlight. Uh, one of the best er uh, areas for sprouts, which I really like because you're talking organic, healthy, 20-year uh, shelf life. And then if you have an area that you have that has dirt, water, and sunlight, you can actually grow these into real plants and produce more. So you got a little farm in a bucket. Uh, sproutpeople.org is a great site. But it talks about how two ounces of alfalfa seeds will yield two pounds of sprouts. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you, if you look at one pound of beans, we you two pounds of sprouts. So you can do, uh, look at the different um, materials out there and what you can get. Now, water source. Water is going to be essential. So remember, 14 million people in L.A., uh, overnight earthquake that wipes out the water source. And how many people have water stored? I'm going to tell you, all of them do but they just got to know where to find it. So where do you find water sources? Well, and this is going to sound kind of gross, but if you look at the back of the toilet, the back of the toilet, um, this is where fresh water is, flows in, and it goes into the bowl where the pooping goes on, and then it flushes it out. So the back of the toilet will have fresh water. The water heater will have fresh water. If you look at all water heaters, there's a little like hose bib on the bottom, now, if the water heater's older, when you first uh, open up that valve, there's maybe some rusted water coming out. Save that, that first uh, rusted water coming out. Put it in a bucket. Let it settle. And if it does settle down, beautiful. You can filter it later through um, multiple areas of cloth or charcoal. And in fact, for uh, details on this, Next month, we're going to talk about goal setting on the second week, but then we're going to go through a series of videos to detail out 
how to get water, what to get water, how to um, filter water, how to produce water, how to literally make water. And then we're going to talk about energy sources. We're going to talk about food storage, um, transportation, medical. We're going to cover everything in detail so you guys are going to be prepared for any challenge. So when you get water out of the water heater, and that's going to be usually 20 to 30 gallons of water, maybe more, and you only need about a half a gallon to a gallon of water a day. So this could be, you know, a 30-day supply or 50-day supply for one person, or you get a family of four, you're talking at least a couple of weeks. Also, there's water directly in the pipes of your house. Now, you'll see the water inlet is usually coming in from the street, either the front street or back street, and there's going to be a shutoff valve for the house. So what I recommend you do is turn the shutoff valve out so any water in the house won't flow out, and then you're going to be able to get the water in the pipes. And this, depending on the size of the house, uh, you can get 10 to 15 gallons of water out of pipes that are just in the house. So there's a way to get water in your system. Now also, if you uh, know that something's coming, like let's say you have a warning that the water is going to be shut off, it'd be smart to have several water containers. Now you can go by camping stores and they'll have collapsible water containers that you can store a few of them. You could put water in bathtubs, okay, and put the, put the cork in it. Uh, there's tons of things you can do. We're also going to go over local food harvesting, such as if you knew that seaweed is 99% edible, and in fact, most seaweeds are about 35% protein. If you're harvesting seaweed, don't harvest it close to um, storm drains or things like that because there could be some heavy metals in there. But we're going to talk about gardening, um, wild food, parks. I mean, there's tons of things you should, you're going to be able to do. Some of the skills that you're going to require are f food, transportation, water, shelter, waste management, first aid, and protection. And over the next series of talks, we're going to talk about uh, how to master this. I mean, if you, if you just look at Huntington Beach, but look at it in a different way and look at your area where you live. Uh, it's literally an island. Now, if you have to take bridges to get in there, Imagine all those bridges gone. Um, what are the water sources? What are the food sources? Look for natural resources like water, food, shelter, and uh, have at least one gallon a day per person. So now we've talked about the chaos. This is what we need to form our small communities to get together to start the process over again, but hopefully we can learn from our mistakes and make it better. We have to clean up the food system. So this means healthy farming practices. That means healthy fo soil practices. So we eliminate the concentrated food operations. Uh, we eliminate monocrops. We eliminate subsidies. And we grow local, organic, seasonal. And then we start canning it throughout the winter. We've got to clean up the health care. This means that we're looking at maintaining health, not, create, not fixing diseases. So vitamins, education, teaching people that their bodies are self-healing and self-regulating, eliminating the pharmaceutical industry, and eliminating the symptom drug therapy that does not work. Look at the environment. 
Okay, think seven generations down. Anything that you do today, will that impact positively seven generations down? I mean, that's a Native American thing. And I got to tell you, it makes so much sense. How is this going to impact your grandkids? Okay, look at, I mean, the car I drive is a biodiesel. Okay, it gets 48 miles to the gallon. I'm trying to do as best I can, but would it be better to have something solar generated? Absolutely, except the lithium batteries are not good for the environment. So I'm trying to make my decisions based on the best that I can do right now. But let's invest in technology so that we can have energy-efficient transportation. And then politics. The new government that we elect, they have to have a balanced budget. They have to have affordable campaigns. All military is going to be defensive only. That's right. And increased, uh, well, local education and everything else. And the infrastructure. Infrastructure. By reducing the size of the government, we take all the savings from taxes and invest in water, fresh water, transportation, energy, taking care of our environment. I mean, literally creating a sustainable world and a sustainable income. Uh, it, it seems too simple to say, look, we can fix this problem uh, by cleaning up the food system, cleaning up the healthcare, environment, politics, and infrastructure, except that is going to be the new world. These type of uh, investments in our future are going to be um, absolutely necessary. We cannot keep living an infinite expansion lifestyle in a finite world. And it's up to us, but just I want you to be aware of the upcoming challenges. Be prepared. And all in January, we're going to go through what, what you need to be prepared and how to protect yourself, your family, your community. And then, baby, we're starting a new world. You are part of the renaissance. Yes! Art, health, love, appreciation, and a brand new world. This is Dr. John Bergman, your health advocate uh, <laughs> and your partner in this adventure we call life. God bless you. And I truly love you. I want you to walk by a mirror and smile. Because even with the challenges coming up, uh, you're going to thrive, baby. You're totally going to thrive. God bless you, and I love you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.